0: Good morning podcast, I'm Chef Ben and this is Food and 5 and today we are talking about the principles of emulsification. So let's start first by explaining what an emulsification is and how it relates to cooking. An emulsification is a mixture of two or more liquids that normally wouldn't mix, think oil and water. This is done through the use of a binder or an emulsifier. In cooking this could be mustard in any form or egg yolks. Common items that are emulsifications include any well-made salad dressing, mayonnaise, hollandaise sauce, hot dogs, chocolate, homogenized milk, and butter. All these items contain at least two substances that don't mix naturally. They're held together with either an added stabilizer or by a stabilizing process. I find that emulsifications are a pretty good place to start when teaching cooking as the concept of an emulsion is pretty complex and even explaining the process at times can be difficult. However, the actual application of the emulsion technique, when simplified to its most basic processes, is much less daunting than one might expect. So let's look at the process of how to build a simple vinaigrette. A vinaigrette is an emulsion of oil and vinegar. This is generally accomplished with the use of mustard as a binder. It is actually a protein or string of proteins in the mustard called lecithin, not the mustard itself that binds the two liquids. This same string of proteins is found in egg yolks and soybeans. So you have oil, vinegar, and lecithin in a bowl but the emulsion breaks. What happened? If you have ever made a salad dressing or otherwise mixed oil and vinegar, it is likely that the two liquids have separated. If you looked at it through a glass jar, you would be able to see the oil floating on top of the vinegar or water. This is a separation of the two liquids. In terms of an emulsification, we refer to this as breaking or splitting. When emulsion is properly formed, it will hold together for a very long time. So if you just kind of throw everything in a bowl and mix it, the oil and the vinegar will separate, and that's what we call breaking. Now there are two main things to think about when building an oil and vinegar emulsification. Number one is the ratio of oil to vine- vinegar. Excuse me. Generally for a basic vinaigrette, a ratio of 3 parts oil to 1 part vinegar will create a nice texture and a slight tartness. For a thicker vinaigrette and a less tart one, a ratio of 4 parts oil to 1 part vinegar can be made. The extra oil causes a thicker dressing which may seem counterintuitive, but because more oil droplets are suspended and dispersed throughout the vinegar, the dressing gets a thicker, creamier texture. Imagine a room 3 quarters full of colored plastic balls. This room illustrates a standard three to one ratio. It's a lot of balls, Uh, it's difficult to move around but not impossible. Now imagine imagine the same room but so full of plastic balls that you couldn't fit one single other ball in there. It would be much more difficult if not impossible to move around. The second example illustrates a four to one ratio. The more oil you add, the thicker the dressing will get. Does that make sense? Number two, the process of making the emulsion. So a strong emulsion is one that is made slowly. Imagine the room from the above example. If you tried to fill the room with all the plastic balls at once, it wouldn't work. You would never be able to get them all through the door. You have to fill the room a few plastic balls at a time. The same principle is true of building an emulsification. The first step in the process is to mix the vinegar with the binder. Uh, imagine that you want about one cup of vinaigrette. You would mix. A quarter cup of vinegar with one teaspoon of mustard powder. The next step is to take uh, three quarters of a cup of oil and mix it into the vinegar and mustard. But as we know from the plastic ball in the room example, we can't just pour all the oil in and build a stable emulsification. We have to start slowly. While whisking, we pour a few drops of oil in the vinegar and mustard mixture. We whisk until the oil has been fully incorporated into the vinegar. We know this has happened because there is no visible sheen or oil droplets. Once this first amount of oil is emulsified, we add a bit more oil. We continue this process until all of the oil has been incorporated. Other emulsifications. So the above process is pretty much the same for an emulsion. Uh, The above process is pretty much the same for any, excuse me, emulsion. Let's look at mayonnaise, for example. In mayonnaise, the emulsion is bound by less than any egg yolk. As a backup, there is often a bit of mustard added as well, though it is mostly unnecessary. For the mayonnaise, we're going to use a ratio of 1 to 1 for the egg to oil, uh, and 4 to 1 for the oil to vinegar. This is one egg yolk, one cup oil, and a quarter cup of acid, which may be just vinegar, just lemon juice, or a combination of the two. Just like the vinaigrette, we start by mixing the egg yolk, the binder, with the vinegar or acid. From there, we slowly start to whisk in the oil a few drops at a time. This process is exactly the same for hollandaise sauce, except the egg yolks are tempered with the vinegar, which means heated but not to the point of cooking. And clarified butter is used rather than oil. Conclusion. Like I said in the opening, the process of making an emulsion is less complicated than the theory behind it. It is not the easiest thing in the world to do or to master, but it is not the most difficult either. Learn this one technique and you can make any salad dressing you can imagine homemade mayonnaise, and of course, the most decadent of all the sauces, hollandaise. I'm Chef Ben. This is Food in 5, brought to you by Shit.com, your modern culinary manual. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Chef Ben Kelly and on Facebook at Ben Kelly Cooks. You can also like and subscribe to this podcast. And if you do like this podcast, please tell your friends about it. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. I'll be back tomorrow with another fantastic episode of Food in 5. I'll see you then. Good Monday Morning Podcast, I am Chef Ben, and this is Food in 5, brought to you by HowToNotBurnShit.com, your modern culinary manual, and today we are looking at 5 quick cooking tips to start your week off right. Let's jump right into it. Rock Hard Avocados So there are a few things worse than going to the grocery store to buy avocados, only to find that they are all hard as a rock. Waiting 2 or 3 days for the avocados to ripen before you can make your guacamole is really annoying. Luckily, there's a quick tip that can take your avocado from rock hard to ready to guac overnight. The secret is flour, regular old all-purpose flour. Take your avocados and completely submerge them in it. Don't peel them or anything, they go in the flour completely whole. The reason this works is that there is an enzyme in the flour that speeds up the ripening process. When you are ready to use your avocados, just give them a rinse in cold water and you are ready to go. Number two, sweet corn. Corn on the cob is one of those great summertime treats. Covered in butter, salt and pepper, and eaten under the summer sun, there are a few things better. What if I told you that there was a way to make that sweet corn taste even better than it already does? Generally, when we cook things in water, we add salt. This raises the boiling temperature, which ideally allows the water to stay at the boiling point when we add items to be cooked. This is true when we cook most things. However, corn and beans uh, actually toughen when cooked with salt. When cooking corn on the cob, rather than adding salt to the water, add sugar. Add the same amount of sugar as you normally would salt. Adding sugar to the cooking water for the corn will cause it to be more tender and flavorful. It will come away from the cob easier and overall will just be more delicious. I've also heard that cooking corn in milk works really well, though I've never personally done it, but it's worth a shot. Uh, Preheat. One mistake that people often make when cooking is that they don't let things preheat. Whether it's your oven, barbecue, or pan, 99% of the time you want to preheat fully. There are a few different reasons for this. Number one, when searing meat or seafood in a pan or on a barbecue, preheating helps to prevent things from sticking. When a piece of meat or seafood hits the surface of a hot pan, a brown crust will be formed. This is called the Maliard reaction. The amino acids in the meat are reacting with the heat of the pan and turning brown and forming a crust. This crust causes a release from the pan or grill, making things not stick. If you're cooking and meat is sticking to the pan or grill, chances are you didn't let it heat up enough, or you're trying to flip it too soon. Let them sit. Uh, let the item sit for another minute or two and it should release on its own. Number two, when stir-frying vegetables the whole idea is to use high heat to cook quickly. It's very important that the walker pan be very hot when the vegetables go in, and this is true for stir-frying meat as well. As the vegetables or meat cook, they release moisture. And the pan needs to be hot enough that this moisture evaporates on contact, or you will end up with a pool of liquid in the bottom of the pan. This will drastically cool the pan, leading to more liquid coming out of the vegetables and more liquid pooling in the bottom of the pan. Rather than having crisp yet tender stir fried vegetables, you will have soggy boiled veg, which is not what you want at all. This principle is the same when cooking in the oven as well. Uh, and there is a final reason why preheating is good uh, browned meats uh, just taste better, they have more flavor uh and they're they have a better texture generally uh cold pan crispy bacon this is one of the few exceptions to the preheat rule when cooking bacon if you want it really crispy but not burnt to a crisp start it in a cold pan by cold i just mean room temperature no oil nothing just bacon in a pan put the pan on a burner over medium low heat and let it do its thing what's going to happen is that the pan as the pan heats up the fat from the bacon is going to be rendered this just means that the fat will melt away from the bacon. The bacon then will then slowly cook in its own fat, and the temperature of the pan won't reach a point where the bacon is going to burn. This technique will lead to bacon that is really crispy, delicious, and flavorful. Seriously, give it a shot. Lemons. Actually, citrus in general. Juicing citrus can be a pain in the ass sometimes. Occasionally, it seems that you can squeeze until your heart's content and nothing is going to come out. To get around this problem and maximize the amount of juice you can get out of your citrus, there's a two-step process. And this works if you're juicing citrus by hand, but if you're using a machine, don't really worry about it. Step one: uh, the first step is to roll the citrus between your hand and the counter. Uh, The idea is that you want to loosen the insides of the citrus. You don't want to use too much force though, because the fruit can break open. Um, So just, you know, put lemon or lime or orange or whatever on the counter, and just put it. put your hand on top and just roll it for 30 or 40 seconds. Step two, the second and final step in this process is to cut the citrus north to south and off center rather than across the equator like we normally done. So imagine you have a lemon uh, and you would cut it normally, right, so if the top and the bottom of the lemon where the root would come out and where, the, or where it would attach to the tree and where the stem would come out are the north and south, You would cut it right across the middle normally. In this process, you want to cut it north to south. So, from where the stem would come out to where the root comes out, and just off center so you're not cutting right through the core. Um, When you do this, you're actually working with the natural structure of the fruit rather than fighting against it. And this causes the citrus to release way more juice than it normally would. And if you want a kind of diagram of this, go to howdonotburnshit.com. Today's post same title as this podcast, and it'll have a diagram at the very bottom. Actually, I think it'll be the header image. It'll show you exactly kind of what I'm talking about. Um, And so the first thing you want to do is cut off the two sides then put the citrus flat, and you're going to cut off the two smaller sides, and then you'll squeeze all four sides plus the middle, and you'll get tons and tons of juice out of it. Now, quick disclaimer, if you have any cuts on your hands, this is going to sting like a son of a bitch, but the citrus is actually really good for the cuts. Just saying. So there you go, Uh, five quick tips to help you start your week. I hope that you have a fantastic week. I hope that you you got something out of this. And I'll be back tomorrow with a fantastic episode of Food History. Until then, I'll see you soon.